Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Iron Galaxy. Scream like a school kid with Capsule Force, an intergalactic retro anime multiplayer game now available on PS4 and Steam. Go to CapsuleForce.com for more info. Thanks, Iron Galaxy! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there. No questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story and their story is your story and then it's our story and then it's a podcast so it's everybody's story and then you've shared it and gosh that's great huh and even if you don't think you're a nerd you probably are it's easily the most midwestern thing i've ever been a part of Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arno, and this is part one of a very special The Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories team-up episode we did with our friends at The Shithole, a wonderful DIY comedy showcase that's one of the truly special things about the Chicago comedy community. The dudes behind Shithole did most of the booking for these next two episodes, and I hosted, and what we got was a really cool, earnest, hilarious, and thoughtful pair of episodes based on the theme Intention, as chosen by our guests. This time, you'll hear Andrew Bentley, Lara Beats, Tyler Snodgrass, Jonathan Giuseppe, Drew Yanda, Ariel Atkins, and the shithole guys themselves, also known as Narnar Shredtown, plus music from myself and Claire Friedman. Uh, plugs time before we get to the show. The nerds have a ton of stuff going on this weekend, starting with our live holiday show this Saturday, December 12th. We're putting up a totally new version of the Nerd Wars Holiday Special from 2012. You may remember that was our loving tribute or something like that to the Star Wars Holiday Special. Uh, that is at the Sum Office Theater, 1917 North Elston at 8 p.m. But again, what we're doing this year, totally new. Uh, all that's the same as the basic outline of the plot, which is this. Uh, in the show, our boy Joe has to get home to Ohio to celebrate Life Day with his family, but some even Empire, in this case uh, Disney, does not want him to. Uh, it's a pretty fun show. We worked really hard on it, so if you want to come, that'd be great. Suggested donation is $10, and all proceeds from the show go to charity, specifically Chicago Loot Drop, which raises money to buy toys and games for kids at Comer Children's Hospital, which is a really important and cool thing, especially at this time of year. Uh, then, on Sunday, December 13th, we're doing our final live Your Stories recording of the year. This is Annual 4, because it's our fourth birthday as a podcast. We invited back some of your favorite speakers from the past year to participate, and the lineup is incredible. Additionally, you'll have all four members of the Your Stories band uh, to play their favorite songs from 2015. That's me, Dwight, Claire, and Jim. First time all four of us have been on stage for at least three months. Uh, it's going to be great. That's at 7 p.m. at some office, and as usual, it is free as hell, so come celebrate with us! 
Uh, thanks again to our sponsors for the episode, Iron Galaxy, and thanks to the Chicago Podcast Co-op, as always. You can now access all of the co-op shows via a conglomerating page on iTunes, which is incredibly exciting. There's a ton of great stuff out there. Uh, and while you're at it, maybe rate and review us on iTunes. That would be very helpful. It only takes a minute, and it means a lot to us. Thank you all for your continued support. We love doing this show. We love having you here. Uh, please, please, please enjoy this episode, and thanks, shithole. This is a band that I feel their aesthetic kind of fits what uh, what Shithole does. Uh, it's a band I got super hard into this year. And fortunately, because Claire's from Minneapolis, I think you also have a bit of a connection to this band. Is that, mm-hmm. is that accurate? Yes. Uh, this is another song with so I true. Will in the title. Uh, I Will Dare, The Replacement. Piece group up here tonight. You just get me and Claire, but uh, it seems like you guys are. And I don't do any instruments. Oh, that's not true. You guys got to see her play the Shakers. Oh my God, it's incredible. If you've if you've ever wanted to see an expert shaker player, expert, this gal (laughs) is not the one you should. Two arms, two legs, full body experience. Guys, coming up first in this half, another great uh, friend of yours stories, Mr. Andrew Bentley. (laughs) 
eventually do most of the things I intend to do, just rarely on the schedule I intend them. False starts, delays, and compromise are, at this point, SOP for most of my serious endeavors. I have yet to book a flight for Christmas. I wrote this essay in the hours immediately preceding the show, and unless Ed Harris's character from The Truman Show has really stepped up his game, I do not currently reside in the city of Los Angeles. <laughs> I, I have to admit that the prevarication and procrastination to which I so often find myself succumbing bother me. There's nothing embarrassing in quite the same way as telling someone with all belief that you're going to do a thing than not doing the thing at all, or at least not until after everyone started wondering why you didn't do the thing. Because, I mean, it's not like it even mattered that you do the thing, but it's weird you made it up. Like, the thing was a weird thing uh, to lie about, you know. If you just kept your mouth shut, you could have done the thing on your own time. So don't you feel silly. In fact, giving up, or at least concealing intention, is a good idea in an extraordinary number of circumstances. If I can switch gears, uh, I'd like to talk about World War II for a moment. Uh, actually, I, I'd like to talk about World War II for a very long time, but it's, it's socially acceptable that I talk about World War II for a minute. In 1942, the Soviets deployed dogs as suicide bombers against the Germans. The dogs were strapped with explosives designed to detonate as they leapt beneath enemy tanks, destroying machine and animal simultaneously. The Soviet mistake was in forgetting that canines operate primarily on their sense of smell. They had trained the dogs by hiding their food under running tanks, but they neglected to consider that they used diesel as fuel while the Germans used gasoline. Although the dogs were released into the face of oncoming panzers, they ran instead back to the Russian lines, diving into trenches and underneath the familiar-smelling Soviet tanks, destroying them instead. If you're like me, but, you know, we're stressed, uh, <laughs> you find that to be a satisfying, if somewhat macabre, anecdote. But why? The dogs died... People died, but somehow were rooting for, or at least with, the Nazis. In a vacuum, assuming those dogs would still die, most people would say they'd rather X number of Nazis die than X numbers of the increasingly desperate Red Army. But the pragmatic logistics of the scenario were trumped emotionally by the Russians' intent to harm the dogs. I've missed like five of those, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, this pattern plays out time and time again. We partition our murders first degree to manslaughter. That is to say, in many states, the difference between jail time and death comes down not to the act, but to the intent. People hate intent. Bad intent gives you Aqualung Sunday constitutional, while good intentions, well, that's just tarmac for the infernal expressway. If we simplify all human actions down to a Punnett square of results and intent, there are four possibilities, because it's a punish score. Uh, but th there, there are four possibilities. Uh, good, 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 bad, 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 and bad, good. The, the first case, good results and good intent, is kind of our default. If someone gives to a charity or adopts a child, you don't assume they had something evil in mind, unless you're an asshole. Uh, by explaining their intentions... The only change they can make in their perception is to slide down into the second square. This and the third square are our incompetence, people who tried for one thing and got another. 
No one wants to be one of those. Those are your, your cartoon villains and your cartoon sidekicks. You want to be competently good or, at the very least, competently bad. And those are always the initial assumptions. In short, introducing intent just adds the possibility of making yourself look stupid. People will rally behind a politician who poses the most regressive and damaging policies until they find out it was just someone bad at math and trying their best. In short, results good, (laughs) trying bad. However, there are two groups of people who make up the exception, whom we give credit just for trying and for whom we ascribe value just for effort. The first are children. That's that's obvious. We've all seen a Little League game. The, The second is your friend who smokes too much pot. Once you've got that reputation locked down, no one is going to hold you accountable for anything you say you're going to do ever again. And no one will hate you for it. Form a band, lose weight, kill the president, we'll believe it when we see it. It, I mean, it's, it's glorious. You can miss shows, parties, hell, as long as you're not one of two very specific people, you can miss weddings, scot free. You can blow off anything. There's an entire ironic anthem about it. And as your garden variety non-toking procrastinator, I am disgusted. (laughs) No one extends the same courtesy to drunks. It seems intentional somehow. Whereas with Smokey Joe, people act like he was on his way to work in a YouTube playlist of, uh, of, uh... (laughs) That's illegible. I'm sorry. Let's say cat videos. A YouTube playlist of cat videos. Uh... And just T-boned him at the intersection. <laughs> and procrastinators? Oh, forget about it. Where's our anthem? Where's the, the Afro man of writers who have gotten really, really good at spider solitaire? <laughs> George R. R. Martin? I don't accept that. Guns N' Roses? I'd rather die. No. It's my sober lot to put my money where my mouth is, which most of the time means it's better to keep both locked up. If I can, I'd like to dip... One more finger in the World War II pool. I understand if it's too much. World War II is like scotch or the anus. The the difference of a single finger can change your night completely. Uh, But I'll leave you with this. In 1929, Hitler said, If I'd ever known I would become Reich Chancellor, I'd never have written that book. Sometimes it's a good thing to give yourself a little accountability. Sometimes, not so much. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. You are so well-dressed. Andrew, you and I are friends. We agree on a lot of music, but I don't know if I've ever told you this. I'm going to confess this right now to to the world. I actually think Chinese Democracy is half of a good album. (gasps) I'm sorry. It's like twice too long as it should be, but there's some all right songs on there, guys. You just got to give Axel a break, okay? Just give him a break. Anyway, coming up next to the stage, Laura Beats. Hi. Um, So when I was 18 years old, I had a psychotic breakdown and stalked seven men. We're just going to jump in. Uh, (laughs) With no intention of hurting anybody. I just wanted to hang out, to be honest. Um, I got five minutes, got seven men, you do the math. Um, We're going to need to move it right along. Gary was first. Uh, (laughs) 
I told him I loved him. He was the first man I ever said that to. Um, again, I was 18, and he was like, "Laura, I can't pretend to love you." And I was like, "I'm, I'm, I've lost my mind now." And I, um, I, like, I lost my mind. I was on a water tower. I was hearing voices and seeing things. I dropped out of school. I mean, I withdrew because I was insane. Um, and everyone was looking for me. Um, my parents had the police looking for me, and no one could find me. I was in my car, and I drove to Minneapolis to stalk him first. I showed up at his parents' place. I looked them up in the phone book, and I drove to their house, and I showed up in the middle of the night, and his mom was like, oh, I remember meeting you once. And she let me uh, sleep on the couch, and he woke up, and I was asleep on his couch. Um, And we went to brunch, and then I just left. (laughs) Like, You know, I had more guys to stalk. And... Um, In no particular order, Brian. I drove to uh, the University of Wisconsin-Platteville where he was a student, found a directory in some campus building, found his room, went to his room. The door was unlocked. I climbed into his bed with him, and he woke up and was like, what the fuck are you doing here? Which is not a very nice thing to say to your girlfriend, you know? (laughs) Um, And then I left. I actually returned later. Uh, He didn't like it and asked me to stop. Um, Kevin, I made, like, this crazy journal with, like, cutout pictures and stuff in it. Um, I showed it to someone, like, last year, and he was like, you can't ever show this to anybody again. Um, and I left that and, like, a stuffed bear and a jewel CD on his porch repeatedly because they kept appearing back with my things. I now know because his mother kept going to my mother and saying, you've got to get your daughter to stop coming to my house. Um, and that happened. Who else? Um... Chris, I took a big self-portrait that I had drawn and I took it to his house and I left it there. Um, And I later asked for it back and he was like, I thought that was a gift. (laughs) (laughs) So he has that now. It was like the one good thing I ever drew. Um, um, Sean, I went to his house and he was home. We smoked a cigarette and then I left. Um, Uh... Joe lived in La Crosse, and I drove to La Crosse and found um, found a directory again on campus. Not a great week to be a, a student in the UW system. Uh, <laughs> I really made the rounds, um, and I I like I don't know why I didn't have shoes or socks on at this point, but I walked to his house and. We had sex, and then in the morning he gave me, you know, shoes that were too big, and I walked back to my car, and I haven't talked to him since. Um, oh, my friend Dean, I I kept showing up at his house, and he kept asking me to stop, and I was like, Dean, like, you stop, you know? And, um, um, and then I called him, and he was like, you've got to stop this, and then... Um, you know, I did. Uh, and it really was a scary time um, for me. And I now take a mood stabilizer once a day. And I haven't had to return to that. Stalked one guy when I was 20. But it's been like 11 years, you know. Um, and I'm really grateful that 
you know, I don't have to be in that today because it really, like, I wasn't, I had no intention of hurting anyone. I just was, I was hearing people's voices in my radio. Um, and I would, I, I had this one voice that, like, that told me that I was insane because, like, I would go into a gas station and I would see the way that people, looked at me and I mean I hadn't slept in a very long time and I was like this it was really scary um it was really scary and I know I have like a point to that end <laughs> to make and I don't want to leave without making it um yeah and I mean there was also that voice that told me like maybe it's not a good idea to go back to this guy's house like he I get I get the sense that he doesn't want me to return but that voice was smaller than like the compulsive need to do it and that's just such a scary place to be and I wanted to share that because I haven't really heard people talk about it and I lost all of my friends during this period of my life all of them and it feels so cool to like be able to share this and have all of you still sitting here smiling at me so thank you so much for listening Thank you so much, Laura. That was fantastic. Okay, let's keep it going for Tyler Snodgrass. Hi, guys. Um, I love storytelling, man. <laughs> this is so fun. Um, but maybe I shouldn't. Um, I have mixed feelings because I, I love storytelling because I love talking about me. Um, <laughs> Which is great. The problem is I'm never the hero in any stories that I tell, um, ever. I'm, I'm always the bad guy or just a static character that's boring. Like I don't have anything good. There's usually not a point or a lesson. Like I'm, I wish I was the hero. We know heroes, you know, like a passionate, inspiring teacher or a white guy who hates white guys on Twitter, you know, (laughs) a hero. I'm never that guy. I'm never that guy. I'm not, I'm not even an anti-hero. I'm not a Byronic hero or an ironic hero. I'm just a gentleman scumbag. Like, that's all I am all the time. I don't know if anyone said it yet, but tonight's theme is intention. Um, so I'm going to sort of cover that, but I'm mostly going to cover the lack of intention. Like, this story is a little bit about good intentions. It's mostly about unintentionally doing something very bad and not realizing it until someone tells you that you did it. Um, so let's, uh, kick things off back with my time in Missouri. I lived in Missouri for the first 24 years of my life, and I spent a good portion of that time performing short form clean improv. Hold your applause. (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. There are two kinds. Um, once I moved to Chicago and I, uh, I started doing stand-up way more than I was doing improv, um, I got a job offer and I didn't have a job at this point. So I was like, I will do it. The job I was told was to fly to Colorado and perform short form improv at a church camp for middle schoolers because stand-ups love improv and Jesus. That's always what they love the most. So I'm like, but Denver's really cool and I need 500 bucks. So I will do this. So I fly to Denver and the guy that I'm doing the show with, who I've not met yet, it's this uh, a middle-aged gentleman named Dave who's very sweet and is a very funny performer. Um, he picks me up in a rental car and he says, have you ever been to Gunnison? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, we're driving to Gunnison. 
which is not Denver. It's several hours away from Denver. And if you've never heard of Gunnison, that makes sense. Um, that There's not a lot going on there, um, but it's a semi-pretty drive for several hours. And we arrive at a college campus where this church camp is being held. And it's pretty fun, to be honest with you. Like, I had a pretty good time. Um, Dave and I, I mean, there's a big age difference and a big life difference. We, you know, have... Um, uh, we just don't have that much to talk about, but he's really sweet. We see a couple movies together. We eat food together and stuff. The kids, of course, I cannot talk to because they're Christian middle schoolers. So they're so weird. Like, they're so... <laughs> I mean, I was one, so I know how weird it gets, but most of these kids were also homeschooled, so they're, like, especially weird. Like, most of these kids probably that their own genitals were a myth, you know what I mean? Like, this is a weird situation. So I don't hang out with them much. The people I wind up hanging out with while I'm in Gunnison is the praise and worship band at this church camp. And if you've ever been to a church camp, you know that the praise and worship band is the shit. Like, they're the coolest dudes. And these guys are. They're so cool. Like, they're they're like all tall and they dress well and they like fucking kill it on their instruments. Like, they, they're the... <laughs> There are no cooler 25-year-old virgins on the planet. <laughs> These guys are tops. So I hang out with them because we have a lot in common. We have a good, a good time together. We're the only people each other's age. So we hang out. Um, so I, the way this gig works is we open up for the Praise and Worship Band. We're doing short-form improv. And if you've never done short-form improv, uh, it's a lot of like, we're going to bring the kids up on stage and they're going to move us around like human puppets. Or uh, we're going to make one of them say buzz into a microphone and then we have to change what it is we just said. So it'll be like, hey, let's get into my car, buzz. Hey, let's get into my truck, buzz. You're not my mom. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, so we're doing that. Uh, I want to incorporate the band because these kids love this band. And I have an idea. A couple weeks before going to the church camp, I'd seen my favorite band, They Might Be Giants, in concert. Where are my nerds at? Where are my nerds at? Particle men and women make some noise. All right, so I see these guys, and I love them. It's like my fourth time seeing They Might Be Giants. And they introduced a new audience game, which they are want to do. Um, this game was called Apes versus People, and it's the best. They split up the audience. And uh, the rhythm section is assigned to one half of the audience, and then the johns are assigned, so the strings and keys are strong, are assigned to the other half. And while, like, the bass and drums are playing kind of this nonsense, the whole audience chants, apes, 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 apes. And then they switch, and everybody goes, people, people, people. And nobody wins. It's just a lot of fun. It's just a good time. It's like the parachute game in uh, gym class. Like, there's no losers. You're having too much fun to realize. So... <laughs> I want to play that and have the band do it while we, like, conduct the apes versus people chant. So I pitch this to the band. Now, you should know, when I explain, we're going to have the rhythm section uh, have ever, have all these kids chant apes, and then we're going to have the lead section have all these kids chant people. I've unintentionally segregated the mixed race band. <laughs> So if you haven't caught up yet, because I hadn't, because I was just stoked to talk about They Might Be Giants for a second, I told these nice young black gentlemen, hey, when you play this music, your passion, we're going to have about 400 seventh graders raise their fist and yell apes at you. And then when the white guys do their thing, conversely, they're going to chant people, people, people. So I say this with the biggest grin on my face. And they were like, cool, we'll talk to you later. And I'm like, nice, we're going to have fun tomorrow. 
So I go off uh, to do the rest of my day at the church camp, which is like, you know, canoeing with the kids or like going to a pool or just hanging out or whatever. I see the band, my my good friends, about 12 hours later, and I ask the lead singer, so do you guys feel good about doing the game Apes vs. People tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, we got to talk about that. Uh, and he explains to me what I had said and what I had implied, and I literally – hit the ground. My body hit the ground in shame. And I just started yelling, I'm sorry. And he's like, no, man, it's cool. Um, and I know he meant it. It was, hu- it was hugely humiliating to me uh, because I, you know, racism is all about ignorance. But I had found this new form of ignorance that was ignorant of like even like slurs or like mean things people say. I'm just thrilled about they might be giants. <laughs> My tragic flaw. Um And like I said earlier, a lot of my stories don't really have points or lessons, and I'd like to say this one did, other than I learned to be more aware of that sort of thing. Uh, And you know what? We didn't even play the game afterwards, Um, and we haven't – I haven't talked to those guys since either. But that's my story. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tyler. There's been a lot about praise bands tonight. Let me just say real quick. So uh, in uh, in seventh grade, when I started playing guitar, I was halfway living with my dad. And the only reason he was cool with it, he was like this born again, whatever bullshit. And he was like, well, you know, you can play in, in this church band and you should talk to the lead guitarist. He's a great inspiration. And then he said this thing I'll never forget. And this was like every like almost made it and has been in like Illinois has this a, a variation of the story. He goes, yeah, the guitar player was almost in sticks. But then he decided it was too secular for him. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. So almost in six, guys, he was almost good enough to be in the band that recorded Mr. Roboto. Uh, P.S. Dad, look at me now. I still haven't ever played a stick song on this stage. So I'm doing you proud, Daddy. Uh, no. Anyway, coming up next to the stage, Jonathan Giuseppe. <laughs> All right, guys. Like uh, like Tyler's story, I think my story, I don't know if it has a moral yet. Maybe I just haven't understood it, but uh, here we go. Um, has anybody uh, ever been in a long-distance relationship? Yeah. yeah. You got to keep things hot. What did you do? <laughs> we got to get in. I only have five minutes. You guys, like, do you, you, you got to Skype, right? Work. You have to okay. Skype. Yeah, yeah. And Skyping is weird because, like, it's weird for me because, like, I can't do any, like, sexy moves. Like, I'm just jerking off in front of a computer. It's like, what am I doing? This doesn't feel... This can't be sexy for you. Um, and then, like, you got to do, like, um, you have to do, you know... Uh, letters. Letters. Yeah, but the letters is like, gee, you know. <laughs> this is not... This is not... Now, nowadays, this is not enough. Uh... Um, phone sex? Anybody do phone sex? Yeah. You gotta do phone sex, right? Um, so, uh, at this time I was a dog walker and my girlfriend lived in San Francisco. So she called me one day and she was like, hey, do you want to have phone sex? And I said, um, sure. Uh, so I'm walking a dog. And having phone sex with my girlfriend. <laughs> so it's going on for like a while. We finally get back to the house that I'm, you know, and I'm just hanging out having phone sex for a, just a long time. It was like 30 minutes of phone sex. And finally I'm like, look, I've got to get upstairs, drop this dog upstairs, and then come back down and then we continue the phone sex. That's, fo- you know, whatever. Um, so I get up, I get back down, 
And she's like, oh, look, I just finished. I'm all set. (laughs) (laughs) And and I didn't know, like, I don't even know what I was thinking. I was like, where would this have even gone for me? Why did I start having phone sex? (laughs) Like, where would this lead? And so I'm so horny. I've been having phone sex for now like 45 minutes. (laughs) The horniest I've ever been. So I get on my bike with a huge boner. (laughs) And I bike two miles to the next house where the dog I have to walk. So I get into the house. I get into the bathroom. And, yeah. I'm so horny. So horny. I'm so horny at this point. I jerked off real quick. It was like three pumps. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, my God. I'm this person now. Like, oh, I've switched. Like, you know, you you wake out of a blackout. You're like, no, I'm all different. So I uh, clean that up, uh, get out, and I go, like, um, try to get, you know, a hold of myself of, like, we lost track of who we were for a little bit. <laughs> Just get through this day. <laughs> so I get out of the bathroom, and I go, uh, Walter? Walter? Like, it's just, like, pit bull. I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I walk him all the time. Um, Walter's not there. I wasn't supposed to be walking that dog that day. <laughs> So essentially, I broke into a stranger's house and jerked off in their bathroom and then just left. Do you know how weird that feels? You're like, well, I guess we got to get out of here. I don't know. Can I ever tell anybody about this? This is... So, I I don't think there's a moral to that story. There can't be a moral to that story. I think the only moral is, if you're going to have phone sex, just be at home when you start. All All right, guys, that's my story. Thank you. The moral is you're a hero. Come on. All right, our next speaker uh, did this show before it was even ever a podcast, which, like, I don't even remember that time. That's, like, prehistoric time. But he's a good friend of Kevin Reader's here tonight. This is amazing. Drew Janda. Hello. Hi. Hi there. Hello. Hello. Greetings. Hi. How are we doing? Like your story. Like your vest. Real good. You. Work with you. Hi there, guys. Bring it over there. Hello, good stuff. Liked your song. Thought it was dope. It was really cool. You owned it, and that was nice. I was dancing in the back. I thought I really felt it. It was good for me. You had a good story. Good to see you, too. Love your beards. Do you know Dave Lasso? Do you know who that is? Similar beard. Pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Hell yeah, dude. Squad. All right, cool. Um, uh, right. Uh, hi, I'm Drew. Good to see you guys. Um, so when I was uh, 14, I went to a real Christian school, uh, and the thing I wanted most of all was to be friends with this guy, Matt Angelo. He was, like, the coolest dude. He was my best friend, but I was, like, his friend, you know? <laughs> and uh, and he was, he was so, such a cool guy. He had a cute girlfriend. He was a quarterback on the football team. He hung out with all the cool kids. He introduced me to hair gel, right? Um, and he was super religious. He was so, it was very, very, very Christian. So, 
Uh, and one day he told me, I remember in, in a chemistry class, he tells me, he's like, you're my friend and all, but you're not in the inner circle. Oh. Right? Oh, a shitty it. guy. Like, <laughs> and he, yeah, so he tells me I'm not in the inner circle. Anyway, so uh, in February of that year, uh, it was the winter formal, and I got invited to go to this dance with this girl named Elizabeth Jones. We were like friends. We hung out on the, we always rode in the back of the bus uh, together from the suburbs that I lived in to the city where the school was. Um, she asked me to the winter formal, but she was like, she had like a, this is awful too, uh, she had like a boy face and she smelled funny and like, and she like wore some kind of plastic contraption. I don't know what it was. But, so I didn't want to go with her. And my friend Matt was like, hey, you know, you should come with me to my church's Light the Fire weekend. Uh, and I was like, this is a perfect, perfect opportunity to become friends with this guy. I'd like to get into his inner circle, right? That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> so, so I go with him, right? I ditch Elizabeth. I go to this thing over the weekend. It's three days of, uh, of like, of like fun games, like touch football, you know, small group Bible study, and then church services in the evening, right? So like, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday situation. Friday and Saturday, uh, it's, it's, um, it's two three hour church services in the evening in this huge auditorium. And yeah, so it's an hour of worship and they have like these huge rock and roll bands, right? Like these are cool Christians, okay? Like these are the Christians who wear like puka shell necklaces and Abercrombie outfits and they're all, and they're like gorgeous. Their skin is amazing somehow. And, uh, uh, and you know, they're, I don't know, they're cool and they're pretty and they pay attention to you and they're funny and they all play acoustic guitar. I wanted to be like them. And so I go with these church services, so an hour of singing, and then an hour of uh, of a message, and then an hour of prayer after that. And it's always the same kind of thing. So we do an hour of worship, and that's like, you know, swelling guitar, uh, rock and roll, that kind of thing. And then it's an hour of speakers, and it's always these, like, older white dudes who let us call them by their first name. Like, they look like you should say, like, oh, it's Mr. like Stevens, but you get to call him, like, Mark or whatever, and it's, like, <laughs> and it's dope for that reason. Uh, anyway, but then the third church service that we do is, like, a little different because they end up doing an altar call. Uh, it was a, it was an assembly of God church, and if you know what that is, it's like a branch of the Protestant movement that kind of believes that like you're not baptized at birth because the acceptance of Christ isn't something that's like thrust upon you; it's something you have to decide for yourself when you're a young adult. So they do this altar call or whatever, and like and the, and you know there's like all this swelling music, like this rock and roll music, like everybody's feeling it, and I'm feeling it like not necessarily because I was like on fire for Christ, but mostly because you're surrounded by people who are cool and look good and want to accept you into their group, and they're feeling good, and you're like I'm feeling good too, and so the guy up front is like I want to know who wants to be saved right now, and then everyone's raising their hand, and then I raise my hand too, and then they call everybody up to the front, whatever, and I'm standing next to Matt. Uh, and, and like, and the guy starts speaking in tongues. I don't know if you know. Right. And he's like, and it's just, it sounds like gibberish, but it's, you know, like, according to the book of Acts, like, what happens is the Holy Spirit descends upon you and you start speaking in a foreign language and somebody's supposed to translate. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so, so what they do is they line us all up in a row and then, like, the guy, Mark or whoever, he, like, comes over to each person, he puts his hand on their head, and then, like, all the leaders of these church groups, uh, like all the small Bible study groups, they come over and they start putting their hands on everybody's heads and they start speaking in tongues and praying for the person and then they start shaking and then they speak in tongues and then they fall down and they move next to the next person <laughs> and then they do the same thing and they keep going and so I'm standing like over here, right? And I just keep saying, I'm like, this looks awkward and bad. And I don't want to have anything to do with this. So, so they eventually get to me and then and they're all praying with me and then they speak in tongues and then I start speaking in tongues. I wasn't, but then and then I. <laughs> 
and then I fall down, and then they move on to Matt. And Matt is super religious, right? Like, he really believes in God. Like, it's hardcore. It's his whole passion in life. And so they get to him, and he's not speaking in tongues. He doesn't do it, because he doesn't feel it. He doesn't feel compelled to, which is so honest of him. And, like, uh... Anyway, and so then after the whole thing or whatever, he ends up breaking up with his girlfriend because, like, she gave him a hand job one time, and he feels bad about that. And, like, um... Uh... But he's mad at me because I spoke in tongues and he didn't. He doesn't know why guy likes me better. And then I get back to my high school and everyone's like, what did that Jesus freak do to you in there? And I was like, oh, yeah, he's a real fucking weirdo. He spoke in tongues and everything, right? I lied about him. I threw him under the bus. Uh, I told him that they tried to save me. And I told them that I didn't need to be saved, right? Fucking I'm a jerk, you guys. All right, thanks, you guys, so much for your time. So much, so much religiosity happening here. I didn't know, man. It's an interesting sub theme going on. Hey guys, remember last half when I said that we had a poet coming up and I looked like a big old dummy? Well, I think this time, this time I'm gonna be right. Ariel Atkins. Hi. Um. Uh, really funny. Uh, I'm actually not doing poetry today. Uh, <laughs> I'm really sorry. It's not on you. I asked my best friend. I was like, I don't know if I should do the poem or I should do the story. And she was like, you got to do the story. And I was like, okay. Um, so uh, I guess we, because we need to do something different. Basically, um, all right, so it's been a really rough week. Uh, if and uh, all the shithole people know that I've done poetry for them before, that I uh, struggle uh, very uh, hard with major depressive disorder and uh, severe anxiety. And so uh, this week there was a new diagnosis. I'm not gonna say what it is, but it was something that really hit me really hard and has not really. Um, left me since and so I was going uh Kevin asked me last week if I could do this and I was going through like a lot of my writings and I was looking at certain things um about myself and like talking to my best friends and like writing myself like looking at some of the different decisions that I make uh and why I make them and one of them uh is how I treat myself uh in regard to other people uh and so like, this isn't very long, but uh, it's something that I wrote that is kind of more for the intention is more for me to understand. It's, it's very selfish, more for me to understand myself a little bit more um, and, and just basically that, just to understand myself a little bit more. So uh, this is called Me Too. Um, you sat on the couch with him. More like you sat on him sitting on the couch. In between locking lips and nipping necks, you took turns confessing secrets you hoped would explain everything without having to actually take the time to get to know each other. He skittered over family history, everything skipped, skittered over family history and dropped words like raw to warn you that he didn't want to get into it. You tossed him scars like bird feet and shrugged when he twisted his face into a mask of practiced awe. And you responded, it's nothing, I'm fine now. While inside you shook off nights waking in panic, bent over your knees, choking on emotions you fought to bury in the marrow of your bones where they couldn't come back for you. You told him about rough hands and cousins and closets and locked rooms and houses that you wished you could forget. 
He said, me too. And you remembered how you'd felt the air leave your body and you thought no one would understand you the way he would. You looked down at his hands on your waist, his eyes looking the way you felt and you knew you were both struggling to keep from spilling into the other. You didn't ask for details. You took that me too to mean something probably more than it actually had. You crumpled into his chest, kissed the non-existent tears on his cheeks and whispered careful sincerities into his ear. Then, eight months later, you sat across from each other in a conference room because it had taken you eight months to really get angry and you had stopped taking your medication and he was still a trigger as he'd always been. You looked into his eyes and wondered just how many poems you'd written about them and how now they look like cheap sticker jewels tacked onto an oblong skull. And you thought about the way they seemed to look at everything but you. And he asked, what's wrong? And the anger boiled behind your ribs, making you tremble in steam. You thought about all the words you'd eaten to protect him, how he didn't visit or call the hospital, how cold his I'll try had sounded on the phone when you asked him in the emergency room if he would. You thought about his flaccid attempt at friendship, how his actions never matched his words, how he talked about the importance of honesty and gave the opposite. You thought about how you fell in love with the sound of his voice, his straightforward facade, his calculated vulnerability, his easiness, his eyes. You thought about how it was all a lie. You looked at him and hoped that he could see the fury in your eyes, hoped he could feel the lasers you were imagining shooting through his brain. You told him you were off of your meds, you weren't feeling well, you hated him, or maybe you didn't, but he was a trigger. You told him how you were relapsing, how you wanted to die, and how, couldn't, how you couldn't stop thinking about the failure from a month and a half prior. You told him about keys in the bathroom stall, and an anger you couldn't control, and again that you hated him. You noticed how he tensed when you told him that you hated him. And you hoped that your words had hurt. You told him he never cared. And he said, you forced me to care. You brought it here and now you're making me care. And I don't know how to fix this. And you could hear your mother's voice in your ear saying, you put all of your hope and passion into people who couldn't care any less whether you live or die. When are you going to put that kind of love into yourself? And you saw him, weak, bent, loose skin that dragged itself out of bed and called itself a man. You were all anger and hellfire, and for the first time in a long time, you felt something other than tired or worthless or helpless. You rose from the table with your shoulders back and breathed a cool... I'm done. And he said, me too. Thank you, Ariel. That was fantastic. Yeah. Man. Guys, it should be, it should be overly abundant to you by now that I actually have no idea what I'm doing up here. I don't know who's a poet, whatever. What do we have going on? So I'm pretty sure that our final story of the evening comes from three guys who do short form improv. That's, I'm pretty sure that's right. Come on, let's see some who's line. Let's play some shoulda said. Guys, these are the folks who organized the show tonight. They're so fucking great. Narnar Shredtown. Everybody you've seen tonight so far. 
I, I'll get this started, I guess. Uh, and I had intentions to do other things and say other things. Uh, but the internet, I don't understand, and the technology scares me and the power that it has. And this is going to be digitally archived, which is really cool. And I would like to take this time to uh, use my intentions and say my future intentions and my uh, current intentions. Uh, <laughs> being that, that I want to continue to use this opportunity for people to share uh, unbelievable things like that. Uh, and, yeah, and to let that grow and continue and uh, reach more people. Uh, and I think that would be... Uh, a wonderful thing and a wonderful intention. <laughs> oh, man. Shit, yeah. Go for oh, it. Fuck. I just fucking did it. <laughs> Kevin Garrett yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Damn. I- oh, shit. Oh, man. How am I supposed to fucking... You're doing it, Daniel. Fuck yeah. Thanks, dude. So, basically, I work at a furniture restoration company. You Uh, can't tell by the overalls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So, I've been working for him about a year. And uh, when I started a year ago, uh, it was a couple people were working there. And, uh, like, a couple months later, like, eight months later... Uh, it went down to like me, this other person, a manager, and our boss. And uh, my boss was thinking about going to grad school and thinking about shutting down the company. And uh, uh, so I went to lunch with my manager and my coworker, and we kind of just talked about it. And my manager said he would talk to our boss, and we got back back to the uh, the studio, and they talked. And then, uh, shit. Uh, <laughs> you got it, dude. Yeah. They talked, uh, and then my boss just came out and was just like, all right, well, I'm shutting down the company, and he's, I'm laying you guys off, I'm sorry. And we're like, okay, uh, that's really fucking sucks. Um, and then, <laughs> but, like, we were all cool, we're all friends, so, like, we went, and we were going to go get ice cream and shit to feel better about it. And... Uh, <laughs> Because that's what you do, I guess. Um, and I was outside with, it was just me, my coworker, and uh, my manager. Oh, no, my coworker was back upstairs packing her stuff up, and it was uh, the rest of us downstairs. And someone was coming into the building that uh, I work in this huge building, it's got smaller units in it with other businesses. This guy was walking in with like a box, like he was gonna, you know, grab some stuff. And my boss was like, oh, okay, uh, Oh, I, I know he his business is shutting down. Like he's about to probably start packing his stuff up. And I was like, all right. So he's struggling with the door, and the door uh, you have to use a little beeper to get into it, and like doesn't always work. And he's struggling with it, and he's like getting pissed off. So I go over, and my intention was to help him get it open. I'm like, oh, I got it, man. You gotta kick it sometimes. So I kick it, beep it, open it. I'm like, oh, there you go. He's like, I don't need your fucking help. And it just walks inside. And I was so charged because I got laid off. I just, like, I'm still holding the door open for him. And he's walking up the stairs and going, Suck my fucking dick, old man! (laughs) And if you know me, I don't really talk a lot. So... uh, That's it, yeah. 
So I was doing a five-month internship where I lived in an apartment with 20 people. And in this time, we, like, shared everything. And one morning, it was uh, Catherine's birthday. Someone had made Catherine a quiche. They said, Zach, have some quiche. I did. I ate, I ate two pieces of Catherine's birthday quiche. There were a ton there when I ate them. Catherine comes in the room later. Who ate all of my birthday quiche? Everyone says, Zach ate the birthday quiche. Said it was offered to me. Happy birthday is very good. (laughs) Catherine's pissed. She leaves with her friends. They have a good day. Later at night, we all get together. We're at the bar to celebrate Catherine's birthday. We're eating Catherine's birthday cake. I eat two slices of the cake. (laughs) Incredible cake. (laughs) I decide, well, I was shitty this morning. I mean, indirectly, but nonetheless. I will do something good now. I'll decide to clean up after all of the birthday cake. I begin to throw things away that are on the table. As I've cleared the table, Catherine dramatically says to the bar, Where are my crepes? (laughs) I had thrown away Catherine's birthday crepes. (laughs) Catherine had two crepes in that bag, untouched, that I had thrown in the garbage. (laughs) They said, Zach threw away your birthday crepes. I'd eaten her quiche, I'd eaten her cake, and I'd trashed her crepes. i just just become this villain of her birthday. But, uh, but we're still friends, so, you know. Intentions and results, it doesn't fucking matter. Just be nice to people. Uh, keep it going for Kevin Reeder and Eric. Thank you very much for having us. Let's do this. Oh, my God. Thank you for letting us do this. I know, guys, this was great. Let's give it up one more time for everybody. To the folks and the chef all for putting this all together. Thank you so much. I uh, I really feel like our, our missions, even though we're we're two different you know shows, our missions are really similar and our, our spirits are really similar. And I, I hope that translated tonight. I hope all you should have people felt at home. Hope the your story people felt at home. It was a really great night. This is another song that has I will. Um, it, <laughs> I feel like Dwight. Yeah, uh, that's a real Dwight <laughs> intro. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was my. Uh, it, it was a song I really liked in high school, and one of the only songs that I really, like, genuinely really like uh, uh, from this band. Um, and I think it uh, speaks to a lot of what uh, people have talked about tonight. Um, in in such a wonderful night so hopefully it'll be a nice kind of little nice way to close out the show I think so yeah You will die, but I'll be close behind 
I'll follow you into the dark No blinding light Or tunnels to gates of white There's our hands clasped so tight Waiting for hint of a spark If heaven and hell decide That they both are satisfied Illuminate the nose On their vacancy signs If there's no one beside you When your soul embarks Then I'll follow you into the dark In Catholic school It's vicious as Roman rule Got my knuckles bruised by a lady in black And I held my tongue as she told me, son Fear is the heart of love So I never went back If heaven and hell decide that they both are satisfied Illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs If there's no one beside you When your soul embarks Then I'll follow you into the dark You and me have seen everything to see From Bangkok to Calgary And the soles of our shoes are all worn down The time for sleep is now It's nothing to cry about Cause we'll hold each other soon In the blackest of rooms If heaven and hell decide That they both are satisfied Their vacancy signs. If there's no one beside you when your soul embarks, then I'll follow you into the dark. I'll follow you into the dark. Thank you guys so much. Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you like your stories, try Tide Pencils. Tide Pencils is a show that explores the process of making art. Matt and Kevin sit down with a maker, cartoonist, painter, or designer to find out about their work and what inspires them to create. For more info, go to TidePencils.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.